Has anybody in here ever suffered? Anybody suffered? I've suffered before. We could talk about lots of serious suffering, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be a little lighthearted at the beginning. Uh, I remember something I had to suffer as a child on a regular basis. I, this, was, this, was, this was suffering. This was awful. Uh, I won't name the place, but my mom had a shop she loved to go to. Um, loved it. It was a little knick-knack place, but it was all, everything in there was breakable. Okay, everything. So do you guys know who I am, right? Imagine five-year-old Colin in a store with nothing but breakable things. It was awful. I had to just sit still and watch her shop with all the stuff I didn't care about. And I hated it so much. Every time she mentioned the name, I was like, no, I don't want to go. I hate it so much. And we'd go and we'd be there for hours and hours and hours. It was probably five minutes, but it felt like an eternity. I hated it so much. I hated going to this place. And what's funny is uh, years later, I, I meet Ashley. We get married and we're, you know, we're, we love each other. And she finds it by accident, the same place. And she's like, I love this place. You want to go look around? I was like, no, never. I will never go back there. I'm a grown up and I don't have to anymore. (laughs) You can't make me. Uh, It was torture. I hated going to this place. Um, And uh, it was, it was so hard. So the apostles have already suffered a lot as we've studied in Acts and they're about to, to suffer more. But the way they see suffering, I think is going to challenge you. The reason I think that is because it has been challenging me immensely. I've been immensely challenged by the way they view suffering because it is not at all the way that I viewed it. So if you want to turn to Acts chapter five, starting in verse 17. So Acts five seventeen, I'm gonna read 17 through uh, um, 26 real quickly. But the high priest rose up and all who were with them, that is the, the party of the Sadducees and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord uh, opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the sin of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what, would, what this would come to. And when someone, told them, someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing at the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. All right, let's walk through that just for a little bit. So the high priest uh, rose up and all who were with him. So this is after they've been um, uh, teaching uh, the people about Jesus and about what Jesus has done. And it says they were filled with jealousy and they arrested and put them in prison. Jealousy is the uh, Greek word zelos, and it means intense jealousy, envy, or resentment. These religious leaders couldn't stand that the apostles were the ones God was using to do amazing works through. I don't know about you. Have you, have you ever uh, seen God using somebody and been like, why them? No, you don't want to admit it. That's fine. I have. I felt that way. I, uh, I, I've certainly done that. Have you ever uh, judged somebody for standing up and uh, sharing their testimony or singing? Thinking if people only knew what was going on in their lives. I think that that's where these religious leaders are sitting, right? 
they're sitting in judgment saying, these are just uneducated, common guys. I've seen the way they act. I've heard the way they talk when they're on their boats. They have no right to be the ones speaking to these people. They couldn't stand that thousands and thousands of people were coming to hear their teaching. Anybody in here ever struggled with jealousy that somebody had something you thought you should have? Some honest people in here. The rest of you guys, it's, it's okay. We'll get to honesty at some point. Um, I struggle with that, right? They couldn't stand that the broken, the hurting, and the sick were finding healing in this group of believers. The apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, but these religious leaders were filled with sinful jealousy. And we have to be so careful not to let sinful religious jealousy like this develop in our own hearts. You know, we read the Bible. I don't know if you're like me. Um, I, I read stories and I love to relate to the main character. I love to relate to the hero and think, that's me. I'm like that guy. Do you know how we should probably read the Bible a little more often? Seeing ourselves and the ones that are sinning. Because I have been this jealous person and that is so easy to do. It's so easy to sit in a place and to think, uh, uh, just, just think in sinful jealousy of thinking that should be you or that should be your people. It should be this stuff instead of, man, praise God that he's doing something amazing, even if it's through someone else. So this time they threw all the apostles in prison, not just Peter and John and not even just the temple. They didn't just hold them in the temple. They put them in the public prison with the rest of the criminals. But while they're in there in the middle of the night, uh, an angel of the Lord comes in and opens the door and says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So this angel comes in, opens the doors. Can you imagine what the apostles were thinking? Like, whoa, we're free. This is great. You open the doors up. This is miraculous. This is amazing. This is exciting. We're probably going to escape and go to a different town now. Let's go to Samaria. Let's go to, you know, somewhere else. And we'll, we'll do something that otherwise. And, uh, but the angel's like, yeah, you're free to go back and do exactly what just put you in prison. Go, go right back to where you were, same spot exactly, and do the same thing again. An angel set all the apostles free to continue preaching the gospel. Because the words of life mean more than anything. More than any other pursuit we may have. The pursuit of teaching others what, the war, what the, the, these words of life are is more important. So they, when they heard this, they left the prison in the night and they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Okay, so they were arrested. They were put in prison. They were there till at some point in the middle of the night when things were you know, dark and whatever. They were set free in the middle of the night with this experience with an angel. They were told you're gonna go back and go teach some more. They went somewhere home probably for a little bit, rested up, whatever. And then at daybreak, so as soon as the sun comes up, they're going back to teach again. Who thinks that these apostles got a lot of sleep that night. Anybody think they were like great rest? Anybody think they got any rest? Is he, like, I, I'm kind of thinking I would have stayed up all night long, right? If I was already in jail once, I'd be like, okay, how am I going to explain this to Ashley? <laughs> um, how am I going to walk through, you know, all these things I need to make sure I get messages out. How are my kids, all this stuff. And then not only that, then they get to see an angel. They're talking to this angel and they get set free and they know now we got to go back and teach again the, at the very place and for the very same message that got us arrested to begin with. I don't know that they slept at all. Do you think they felt like resting? Maybe so. But these guys obeyed God and they returned to the very place where they just rested and they teach more people about Jesus. So then though, the, 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 they're out there teaching, they're doing this stuff and they're, they're, they're uh, doing this and the, the, 
the, uh, the Sanhedrin gets together, everybody in Israel, the whole council, the sin, all the people that could judge these people because they're, they're ready to have all of the apostles murdered. They want them put to death. They are done with this. So these religious leaders were summoning the, the apostles to another court session. But when they summon their criminals, they're not in the cell anymore, even though it's still locked and guarded. And they said, I like it. They were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. I think what the, the Jewish, the religious leaders here were thinking is nothing normal ever happens with these Christians. What is this? Like it never goes the way we plan it to. It never happens the way we think it should. It's always something abnormal and strange. And God's doing, you know, it's, it's, well, they're not giving credit to God. They, they don't want to. They don't want to see God's at work inside of these people. So they're just angry. And they're saying this never works out the way we plan it. But then someone says, hey, I see them. They're over there. They're teaching at the temple. So they send the, 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 the guard out to go bring them in. And they're bringing them in carefully because they are afraid. God was doing amazing things through these men. And we have to remember that it's God doing it. God has never called a human to do a miracle. Never once. He calls us to be obedient so that he can do the miraculous. So by their teaching, the Holy Spirit brought thousands to faith in Christ. And we have to strive to be those kind of Christians. One with a reputation of truth, love and respect in our community. One who people would not believe when these lies are told. Because what they're afraid of is these, these men had been, been doing so much good work in the community, teaching so much great truth and living their lives in front of the community. The temple guard was afraid to arrest them by force because they had a reputation among their community as being good people. Now, are we going to be loved by the world as Christians? No, we're not but we shouldn't earn that. Does that make sense? Have churchgoers in history earned a bad reputation? Sure. Yeah, I got some, I'll give you the answer to that one. Yes, we have done that. Have you ever earned um, the bad reputation yourself? Anybody? No, just me. Okay, cool. We struggle with this, don't we? Anybody ever been unkind to a server at a restaurant? Don't tell me they deserved it. Just, have you done it? Yeah. Anybody ever lashed out at your children? Today, yes, got it. Anybody ever been unkind to your spouse? Anybody ever gossiped about your coworkers? You don't have coworkers, Sully. Um, <laughs> ridiculous. We sometimes earn that, don't we? By living in our flesh. The difference is, is that these... <laughs> These apostles, they were living out godly love in their community at this point. And the community was at least respectful of them, saying they believe what they're saying. They're teaching. They're living it out enough to a degree that these, the temple guard couldn't even arrest them. So let's read verses uh, 27 through 32. When they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them, saying, we, are strictly, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand, as, at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel for, and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So they're trying, 
at the beginning, they're saying, hey, you're going around. We told you not to teach about Jesus anymore. You're still doing it. As you're going around teaching about Jesus, you're trying to put his blood on us. So they're trying to deny their role in Jesus's death. They're saying, we're not the ones who did that. That was the Romans. They, they're the ones that killed Jesus. But here's the thing. The apostles aren't bringing Jesus's blood upon them. They're confronting these people with the sin of murdering the son of God. They're saying, hey, your hands might not have been the ones that held the hammer, but you're the ones that incited the crowd to shout out for Barabbas. You're the ones who incited everybody to do this stuff. You pushed for this because you couldn't stand that the Messiah might not be who you wanted him to be. And so they're confronting this sin. But here's what's funny. They, what they say is you're trying to put his blood on us. The disciples are trying to put the, the blood of Jesus on these religious leaders. Because every time they offer to, him, to these people, Jesus is the way of salvation. They're offering Jesus' blood to them as an atonement for their sin. What they're telling these people is even though you're responsible for murdering an innocent man, Jesus can forgive you of sins. So I love the wording here that they're saying you're trying to put his blood on us. And the apostles are probably like, yes, that would be great. You need his blood just like we do. But Peter and the apostles answered because they're told, don't do this anymore. They said, we must obey God rather than men. That is a hard thing to do, isn't it? Because people can be scary, can't they? People can be scary. It can be so scary to make people upset. It can be so hard to do things knowing if I do this, people are going to be angry or frustrated. They're not going to like it. But what are people next to the God of all creation? People are not always going to steer you in the right direction. Anybody been misled by somebody? Anybody ever been given bad directions to, uh, to arrive somewhere? Anybody got real frustrated at that? Yeah. God doesn't do that, Right. His instructions for us are always correct. And so when we're standing on, I will do what God says, period, we will be doing the right thing because if people are against what God's doing, there's only one right answer. We aren't called to do this life alone, but we must first lean on God, not on others. Then they confront him. They say, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That word leader, it means a person who, is, uh, who, uh, who was originator or founder of a movement and continues as its leader. Jesus must be your leader to be your savior. There is no changing faith, there is no changing faith that doesn't submit to Jesus as your Lord. Then he's also called the savior. This is the rescuer, one who delivers or saves. Who needs a savior? One who recognizes that they are in deep trouble. This is why sin must be a part of the message of the gospel. If we try to present the gospel without the message of sin and sinners, then there's no need for a savior. If you're a good person who can only need to be made a little bit better, you don't need Jesus. The people who need Jesus are people who are lost in their sins and need absolute saving grace to forgive them. 
to, their, to be their savior and their leader. And he's offering repentance. This means to change one's way of life as a result of coming to, uh, of, as a result of complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. Jesus gives us repentance. Do you know, I've said this before. I want to make sure I reiterate this every time. Repentance is not something you could do on your own because if you could do it on your own, you wouldn't need Jesus. If you could choose to suddenly say, I'm just going to start living better and I'll be good from this point forward, you wouldn't need Christ. Christ is who gives us the power to live in repentance, the power to live a different life. When he saves, he creates a new man and a new woman, one who is freed from slavery to sin and able to live in holiness. So in Christ, we're given this chance to live in repentance and he offers us forgiveness. That word means to remove the guilt resulting from wrongdoing. Jesus offers complete and total forgiveness. Not something conditional or that we have to continue earning. It's a free gift, the greatest gift. So here's the thing. This offer of forgiveness means that that is the most Christ-like you can be. It's when you're offering and living in forgiveness. When you're giving unearned forgiveness and we look no less like Christ than when we choose to withhold forgiveness when we've been forgiven so much. He says we are witness to these things as well as the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. This final statement is what's about to send the religious leaders over the top. The apostles are telling them that they know all of these things to be true because they are witnesses of the events. And the religious leaders are therefore either ignorant, hard-hearted, or dumb. And they're they're saying that the apostles are the recipients of the Holy Spirit and that they are a part of what God is now doing in the world. And the religious leaders are no longer a part of it. So let's see how they respond to those accusations. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if it is, uh, for if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So he took his advice. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. So first of all, they heard all these words. They heard the apostles uh, telling them again, you're the ones that killed Jesus. Jesus is, is the Messiah, but he's offering forgiveness for your sins. They were enraged and they said they wanted to kill somebody. They wanted to kill these men. Uh, anybody ever said that phrase before? I, 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 I could kill you. I could kill somebody. Anybody ever said that? Anybody said it recently? Yeah, probably. Okay, it's fine. Some of you guys looked at somebody. I'm like, don't tell them. Um, did you really mean it? 
No, I hope not. Otherwise, that's a different conversation we should have later. These leaders meant it. They wanted right then to kill every one of these apostles because the apostles had the audacity to say, you are a sinner. That flew all over the religious leaders because they did not think they were sinners. They thought they were holy on their own. They didn't see a need for a savior because they were good. And here are these, uh, these common, uneducated men telling them, you're a sinner in need of Jesus. But then Gamaliel steps in and he says, whoa, let's let them out for a minute. Let's take a pause because I think he saw it re- reaching fever pitch, right? He's like, this is about to get ugly. Anybody seen a meeting that's about to turn bad? Those are fun, right? So he sees it. He's like, hey, let's, let's, let's take a break. Let's take five. Let's let them stand out the hallway for a minute. I want to talk to you guys just for a little bit. And everybody listens. And he says, two examples. There's some guys that have already tried to do something like this before where they had an uprising and people followed them and it fell apart. The first one is Thutis. This guy claimed to be a prophet. Maybe he even claimed to be the Messiah. The, the, the history is a little bit, it goes back and forth on that. Obviously he was not the Messiah and he eventually died and nothing came of it. And all the 400 people that followed him stopped following him because he was a dead, not prophet, right? So it just, it, it dispersed on its own. Another guy named Judas the Galilean, um, he radically opposed the Roman taxation of Israelites. He hated the fact that they were being taxed by Romans. So he, he create, created this uprising that said, we're, we're going to revolt. We're going to be against the, the Romans. We're going um, to secede basically. And uh, we're not going to pay these taxes. We're going to have our own uh, thing. And some people look to him like a Messiah figure because he's going to um, get Israel under, uh, out from underneath Rome. He died and everything fell apart, Right. But then Gamaliel says this. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For is this, if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you, may, you will not be able to overthrow them and you might be found opposing God. The will and designs of man are gonna fail every single time. How many times have we experienced that? Anybody ever had a design that you said, I'm gonna, this is where I'm gonna be next year and you didn't end up anywhere near that place? Anybody done that? The will and the design of man will fail. God's will cannot be stopped. So the question comes, who wants to try and be an opposing force against the work of God? That is a dangerous place to be. So they took his advice, right? They listened. They were very kind. Instead of murdering the apostles, they beat them and told them to stop teaching again. I like it because uh, they just basically said to do the same thing they told them last time, thinking it would work this time. I don't understand that because uh, these apostles obviously weren't going to stop. And, and I don't think a beating changed anything. I love this though. So then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name rejoicing I can think of a lot of things that I would do and feel after being put in prison going back to court and then being beaten publicly I can think of a lot of things I would feel a lot of things I'd probably try to say I can think of a lot of things I would do rejoicing would not be one of my natural responses That would not be a natural response for me whatsoever. But these apostles left rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer. 
they rejoiced at the privilege of suffering for Christ. He suffered so much more for them. They were getting to participate in his mission. So here's where I struggled. Because you see this, you see the apostles' response. They're rejoicing, they're celebrating. We just got to suffer for Jesus. And yet the modern church is completely suffering averse. We'll cancel service if the air conditioning unit's out. Because God forbid we get a little hot, right? We're suffering averse to a degree that we will bring shame to the mission of Christ. And here they are saying, man, we'll take a beating and go back and teach again. And again, and again, and again, until each of them met their end. We desire never-ending happiness in our pursuit of Christ, and that's not what he promises. What does Christ promise? Suffering. He promises suffering. He says, because they hated me, they will hate you. Because I'm suffering, you will suffer with me. What does he tell us to take up as, as Christians? Our cross. That is not a recliner, right? It doesn't say take up your easy chair, take up your hammock and follow me. Take up your cross, an element of suffering and follow me. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. This is again, what caused the church to grow so quickly. Obedience to be what, what God had called her to be. Clear gospel teaching and preaching. Regularly meeting with the whole congregation together in the temple. Regularly meeting in smaller groups in, in people's homes. Doing life together. I want to give a little plug here. Join a life group because you need to be in one. Because that's where people are going to be able to encourage you and walk through life with you. But I do have a, a few questions for us to walk through as we wrap this up. So if you would bow your head and close your eyes with me. Whose will do you desire and pursue for your life and for our church? Are you pursuing God's design, his plan for your life and for our church? Or are you pursuing your own design and your own plan? Because one of those will succeed and one will fail. And you get to choose which one you're going to chase. Second one, are you willing to suffer for your faith? Have you run from obedience because you feared suffering, the suffering that might come along with it? Have you run from something you know God has called you to because you're like, no, that might hurt. That might be hard. People might not like it. If that's true, what will you do about it? Lastly, will you commit to studying God's word regularly, gathering with our congregation and regularly meeting with the life group so that we can mirror what this early church did so that we can see God using this church to change this community. God, I pray you call us to be as different as light is from darkness in our community, to be a people that point to you, 
that are willing to suffer and rejoice in suffering because you suffered for us. That we'd be willing to go through discomfort, go through hardship in order to get the chance to point others to you. Will you give us the courage to pursue your design even when it flies in the face of what we would prefer? And God, would you convict us to chase after you studying your word personally, meeting together as a church and doing life together as a group of believers that we can make a difference in our community. Christ, I pray that you would do these things through this church. In your name I pray, amen. Please stand, respond however God leads you.